The day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Good evening. Welcome. Glad you're with us, Brian Noonan, on... WTMJ Nights, you just heard that from the big voice guy. I don't know why I repeated it, but I just felt like it. I felt like a little flex tonight. Hope you are doing well. Glad you're here. Big show, and I want you to get involved. It's easy to do, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talking text line. If you call in, you'll be talking to Matt. He is producing all by himself tonight, allegedly. We are... Uh, I'm holding out good hopes. I have uh, full faith in Matt. Justin is in the building, but uh, word is that he's already out at uh, the night market uh, perusing all their food selections, so he will not be around to help Matt. So we're going to, uh, I'm going to try to make it as easy on him as possible. That's if you call in, be nice to him. You get to me. That's how it's going to work. And if you want to text in, let's start with our text question of the night as we do every night. It's Flag Day and National Bourbon Day. Did you observe one? Did you observe both? Or did you observe neither? Flag Day and National Bourbon Day. Matt, are you feeling confident? You're all by yourself tonight. Oh, I'm ready to rock and roll. Never all been right. more confident. Wow, that's what I like to hear. I like to hear that confidence, whether it's whether it's genuine or you're putting on a brave face. Either way, it comes across as a man who's ready to go. So I am, uh, well, I'm confident. Like I said, I have full faith in you, Matt. Don't let me down. Are you a bourbon drinker, Matt? I'm not much of a bourbon drinker. It's not my preferred drink, but right. I appreciate it once in a while. So you did not celebrate National Bourbon Day today? Unfortunately, I did not. Did you hang a flag outside of your home? No, because I wasn't home today, but <laughs> I, saw, I, I saw a lot of flags out there. I saw a lot of observers of Flag Day, and we had a good conversation or heard a good conversation in uh, the Wisconsin Afternoon News about Flag Day. So a lot of flag talk on this Flag Day. Well, it's Flag Day, so uh, every show's going to talk about uh, going to talk a little bit about the flag. I didn't. This is sad. I didn't see too many flags today, to be honest with you. Um, flag Day started in Wisconsin. I'm sure everybody knows that by now, because um, as Matt said, they talked about it on other shows. <laughs> uh, July fourteenth, eighteen eighty, or June fourteenth, eighteen eighty-five. Bernard Sigrand, who was a teacher in Wisconsin, put a flag at his desk at Stony Hill School and asked his students to write an essay about the flag's importance. Uh, the date was important because June 14, 1777, the Continental Congress formally adopted the Stars and Stripes as the flag of our country. Um, in 1916, Woodrow Wilson issued a proclamation calling for a nationwide observance of June 14th as Flag Day. He said, quote, It has therefore seemed to me fitting that I should call your attention to the approach of the anniversary of the day upon which the flag of the United States was adopted by the Congress as the emblem of the Union, and to suggest to you that it should this year and in the years to come be given special significance as a day of renewal and reminder, a day upon which we should direct our minds with a special desire to renew the thoughts of the ideals and principles of which we have sought to make our great government the embodiment. End quote. So yeah, there we go. It is Flag Day. I, I always enjoy putting the flag out. It's... You know, there's there's a lot that I can criticize about this country, and sometimes I do. But it is the, it is uh, our country, and I am proud to be here. And I do. I heard uh, Sandy say this. I am. I also am excited to come home. I love to travel. I love to go to other countries. I love to learn about their culture and uh, see the sights and do all that. But then I come back here, and you know, 
I'm happy to be back, despite all its shortcomings. And I, I would imagine if you ask anybody from any country, that's how they feel. You know, it's okay. Just because you question your country or have complaints about your country doesn't mean you don't love your country and doesn't mean you're not a patriot, which is something that a lot of people have contorted and polluted over the last few years, that if you don't think a certain way, you're not a patriot. I would argue that being a patriot means seeing the good and the bad and working for the, the good and trying to change the bad. It doesn't mean that if you question things, uh, you are not a patriot. So, you know, people who didn't hang their flag out today, maybe they don't have a flag. I would. Every house I moved into, it was very hard to put up a flag because I, I'm not really that handy. I'm a little bit handy, uh, and so trying to drill holes and brick or whatever to put the flagpole holder in was always an issue. Uh, there were a couple places where I was lucky enough where there was. Uh, wood near the door or where I wanted to hang the flag. That was easy to put the flagpole holder in. Now I just have a giant uh, flagpole holder in the yard. It's like a L-shaped kind of thing. In the f goes in the, like the little garden flags, but this is taller, so you can put a full-size flag on there. So I change them up. But, uh, yeah, that's that. So happy Flag Day. That's when we can say happy, right? Sure, why not? And you saw a lot today, Matt. You're driving around. Well, you live in a very patriotic neighborhood. I do I? I? I I mean, I don't know where you live. I'm, I'm <laughs> go with the bit, Matt. Come on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes, you live just outside the just outside the military base, don't you? No, I'm kidding. Uh, so there you go. Well, that's it. It is Flag Day. Um, we're gonna take a quick break, and then when we come back, the indictment was handed down yesterday. The former president was in court, entered his plea. Now things are gonna move forward. Is what happened yesterday going to change your opinion on anything? We talked about this a little on Monday, how I don't believe anything is going to change people's opinions. But, well, today we saw some Republican leaders starting to inch away. Now, they're only, they're only adjusting their opinions for political gain one way or another, either to move closer to the former president or to distance themselves, whatever they think is going to be most beneficial for them. But... For you and I, regular people, where does this where does this leave us? And you know, are things going to change because we've seen a president indicted on federal charges? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. The old National Bank talk and text line. We'll talk to you and more about this on the other side. It's WTMJ. Now more of WTMJ nights. Brian Noonan, WTMJ Knights. You want to get a hold of us? 855-616-1620. The old National Bank talk and text line. Old National Bank. Get old. We were talking about Flag Day from the 262. I'm now one of the oldest, longest residing households in my neighborhood. And I've noticed that the mostly young people who now are my neighbors never fly flags. So trends are clearly changing with the demographics. This is very opposite the way flags were predominantly displayed by my generation when we dominated the neighborhood in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, it has changed demographically. Um, there's probably a lot of different reasons. Everybody has their own, I'm sure, so I don't want to speak for an entire generation. But I think there's some disenfranchisement, some disillusionment, 
and um, you know, younger people may be less likely to be be willing to hang a flag when they don't agree with a lot of what's going on than older people who go, yeah, there's problems, but I'm still gonna I'm still gonna represent, which is kind of what I was uh, talking about earlier. So I can I can understand that again on my on my street I didn't see any flags today so you know maybe maybe people just forget that it's flag day <laughs> you know that's it's not one of those like Fourth of July everybody will have their flags out there's a, no doubt about it because it's Fourth of July everybody knows it's coming I wonder how many people actually just didn't realize it was flag day and I'm not making excuses I'm just it's not something that is you know, we talk about it here. It's, uh, you know, you mention it maybe on the news. Um, you see a, a small piece in the newspaper. But it's not one of those dates, you know, uh, like December 7th or July 4th or, you know, those kind of dates in American history where you go, I'm never going to forget those. People just might not think about it anymore. Plus, people, you know, people are always confused about there's confusion by some on which way to hang it. If you're hanging it uh, straight up and down instead of on a flag, does the do the stars go on the left? Do they go on the right? What do I do if my you know my flag's kind of beat up? What do I do with my flag? Uh, do I have to fold it like I did in the Boy Scouts? People, I think some people are intimidated by it. Older people either know flag etiquette or have forgotten some of it, and or you know you don't want to disrespect the flag. So there's all there may be all different reasons, but I think it's just that younger people are disillusioned by a lot of things that are going on, and that's their way of protesting or making their feelings known, whatever, however you want to frame it. I think that's I think that's what it is. I don't know if you watched any of the coverage or listened to any coverage of the um, the indictment uh, or the. Pre-trial hearings yesterday, when the uh, when the former president had to go in and uh, put in his plea, he of course pled not guilty. He didn't plead not guilty. His attorney did. He stood there quietly. Um, there was a lot of talk about Jack Smith coming in and sitting in the courtroom um, to as a show of support to his staff, as a show that this was uh, you know a very important thing. There were reports that he made uh, was was watching the former president a lot but that Trump wouldn't look at him. Uh, There's just a lot going on. And then, of course, there were the people outside, and there was, you know, there was big concern about protests and things. And there were some protesters there. And, again, they're the kind of lunatics that you would kind of expect. I don't know if you saw the one guy with the pig head on a stick, and, you know, you've got other people and, and the flags and all this. And I just, you know, there was a, a story today asking if anything is going to change. And I don't think it is. First of all, I I am not confident that this is going to come to trial before the election. I everything I was reading, everything I was watching over the last couple of days the defense has, you know, the right to challenge things. This is, you know, we can't we're not going to change the entire legal system for this case. But they can stall, they can delay, they can do whatever they, you know, whatever the judge will allow. The prosecution is going to try to push this because the theory is 
if, and this, this case has a lot of ifs involved, you know, any, anybody who tells you they know exactly what's going to happen is a liar because none of us know what's going to happen. But this is just, this is one of the theories being put out there by a number of different people. And it, it makes sense. If the defense is able to prolong the, all the pretrial motions, all the discovery, every, everything that happens before an actual trial, if they can prolong that process until after the election, and if Donald Trump is nominated as the Republican candidate, and if he wins the election prior to this trial coming up, he could, as president, appoint a new attorney general who could then be told to drop the charges and this whole thing would go away. So obviously the prosecution is going to be pushing to move things along as quickly as possible. Um, so with that, even even the, the specter of that makes me say, no, things aren't going to change. Um, a USA Today Suffolk University poll came out. And it said 34% of Republican and independent voters who were surveyed, um, those are the voters that the former president is trying to target, um, said his multiple legal troubles make them less likely to support him. But 51% said the various investigations made no difference to them. And another 11% said they made them more likely to support him. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm, I can't be the only one who's confused by those numbers. Because if you were going to hire anybody for any other job and they were under not one but two criminal indictments, how can it not make any difference to you? I'm not saying you have to change your mind completely, but how can you say, well, it doesn't make any difference? You know, because yeah, federal charges, what are those? Really, that's nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So to answer that question, uh, no. I don't think anything's going to change. And I, you know... I will be shocked. Matt, you can mark the tape. I don't even know. I, we don't even use tape anymore, but I still like to use the outdated slogans. You can make a note that I said at 624 on the 14th of June, year of our Lord, 2023, that I don't think this is even going to come to trial. I hope I'm wrong, but that's my prediction. So mark it. Lock it down. Uh, I know when just... Uh, <laughs> When Justin comes back in, he's a degenerate gambler. Haven't put some money down on that. We got a lot of different angles we're going to cover it. First, though, we have to do this. It's WTMJ Nights. Where do you get your news from? You might be surprised. If you're a person of a certain age like myself, I get my news, obviously, from here on the radio. I get my news television, certain cable uh, stations, and I still read the newspaper. Uh, digital copies, but I still read the newspaper. So that's where I get my news. However, I am, uh, I am much older than, say, my producer, Matt, who I'm sure gets his news from other places, if he's like most young people. A study out of Oxford University found that 55% of TikTok users and 52% of Instagram users get their news from online personalities. Yes, TikTok is where young people are getting their news. Uh, Matt, where do you get your news? Now, you may be different because you're working here at a news station. I get my news primarily from Twitter and other social media sources, and then that leads me to other news sources. But Twitter's my home base. Twitter is your home base. Now, do you trust... Do you, 
is it the people you follow that you trust or are you just going down your feed and getting your news that way how do you how do you cultivate your news off of twitter well if it's something that is noteworthy that i care about or something that i'm going to make a comment on i'll always cross verify it with another source just to be sure that it actually happened also back in the day when the blue check mark actually meant something then that would make it a little easier to verify sources but right now it's just knowing who's reputable cross-referencing and just being sure that everything's all right very good yeah it's you gotta you gotta double and triple check and and you know i i'm a little old-fashioned when it comes to certain news outlets and i go okay they're going to do they're going to give me at least things that are true for the you know i i will still you know, I'm still going to double check. I'm still going to look at some other sources. But if they come from big places, I'm going to go. Okay, this is true. Let me just let me just see if there's some other stuff to back it up. But we mentioned this the other night. Uh, trust in mainstream media is dropping among Zoomers from one in three in 2018 to one in five in 2023. So we have to figure out as you know um, a traditional news outlet and other traditional news outlets have to figure out if there's a way to get that trust back and i don't know if there is but we have to try because uh tiktok and twitter and stuff are great but i don't know if they're you know there's been a lot of stuff on twitter that i i look and i go oh this sounds good but then like matt i have to go and i have to quickly double and triple check and i go oh, sometimes i'm like oh okay that is i can back that up and other times not a chance well, we're going to go from talking news and politics to talking beer on the other side of the news. Dan Cat from Good City Brewing is going to join us to talk about a huge Wisconsin Brewers Guild event coming up this weekend. Right now, though, we go to the WTMJ 24-hour news center. Who's doing news tonight, Matt? Wyatt. It's Wyatt Barmore Pooley. I apologize, Wyatt. Good to have you. You're listening to WTMJ Nights. Welcome to another edition of At the Breweries. Give me a keg of beer. Pull up a bar stool and get ready to join the keg conversation. A shark on whiskey is mighty risky. A shark on beer is a beer engineer. Your one-stop shop for brews in the news is on tap. Beer! More beer! And more beer! Here's At The Breweries with Brian Noonan. Welcome back. You know that if there's anything I like more than drinking beer, it's talking about beer. And if you are a beer lover in Wisconsin, this weekend is a big deal for you. The Wisconsin Brewers Guild is bringing back the Wisconsin Beer Lovers Festival. It is this Saturday, June 17th, at uh, from 1 to 5 in Bayshore. And to help me explain it a little bit and talk about What's happening with craft beer in Wisconsin is Dan Cat. He's the co-founder and CEO of Good City Brewing. You can go to good, goodcitybrewing.com to find out about their four locations, all their beers. Dan, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So, first of all, tell everybody what the Wisconsin Brewers Guild does. Well, the Wisconsin Brewers Guild is um, basically an organization that represents um, both large and small brewers from across the state. Um, and essentially we, um, 
we push for um, to advance the industry. And right now we actually have um, a really important bill uh, in Madison that's uh, that had public hearing yesterday. So uh, we've been working um, pretty diligently the past 10 years here on some new legislation that makes uh, beer drinking easier for the people of Wisconsin. So we've I've been following that story about all the new the new regulations and things. How does this potentially affect craft brewers? Uh, it's actually really good for craft brewers. You know, there's been an explosion of craft breweries the past decade. Um, we were all operating um, on laws, many of which were from prohibition or recently after prohibition. Um, from a practical standpoint, it will allow breweries more rights related to their tap rooms and retail locations. Um, so you might see a continued growth in tap rooms. And, um, and also it'll allow distilleries, wineries, breweries to all serve um, each other's products. You know, often you go to a, a winery and maybe somebody doesn't drink wine and they want a beer, or you right. go to a brewery and somebody doesn't drink beer and they want a glass of wine or a cocktail. So, um, you know, those are important. And it also defines what, like, hard seltzer is because nobody, there was no definition for hard seltzer in the law, so people just started making it. Yeah. Um, so some things are really practical, and then some things are really good for, you know, business as a whole. And one thing that happens a lot in craft brewing, I'm not sure about in wine or distilling spirits, is contract brewing. That's that's kind of right. covered in that. Can, what does that mean? People who who aren't quite sure what that means. What's contract brewing, and how does that how does that help the industry? Yeah. So um, there's a there's a lot of restrictions right now on how breweries can work together. Um, contract brewing is an area that's gray as well. This bill clarifies how a brewery might work together. Sometimes uh, you have somebody starting a small brewery and they can't afford equipment, um, so they might go to another brewery to actually make the beer, make their recipes. Um, and this bill helps. Um, it opens up contract brewing between breweries and brew pubs, um, and it kind of makes it clear how to go about contracting your product, having, some, having it made at a different location. Okay, and that's so somebody like Good City, you've got four locations. You you guys make a pretty good amount of beer. If somebody's small and they go, "Hey, we've got this this recipe. We want to try just like one one run of this." And they mm -hmm. talk to you and you're like, "Yeah, this would be sure. You can, you know, you can brew that here." Right now. Yeah, very specifically, we can't do that right now. At okay, City, that's right? the, and but yeah, we which, will be able to in the future, which makes a lot of sense because you know, it's not like you're going to walk in to Miller and have them brew a batch of beer because <laughs> right. they'll make like, you know, they'll make like a thousand barrels. You might come to us and we could make you, you know, 20 barrels. So, And like you said, these are, these are laws that have been in place well before craft beer or craft distilling or any, any of this stuff was even around. And it seems like it's about time. Now, if regular beer drinkers, regular citizens can go to uh, wibrewersguild.com, there's ways that they can help. I, I know the Guild is always asking for people to support them, talking to their legislators and things like that. Have you seen that work? Is that part of what's turning the tide now with certain things? I think the biggest thing is that the the Guild and its members have gotten organized, Um you know, 10 years ago, there, there just weren't that many breweries. And about five years ago, um, 
there was a proposed bill that would actually put the industry backwards, and it really catalyzed the group of us to get together and to um, to form an alliance, not only with other breweries, but with other small uh, manufacturers, you know, wineries, distilleries. And, um, and then it's taken a lot of work to get everybody, you know, the distributors, the retailers, um, everybody together and to compromise on something that that is good for everybody, but not necessarily perfect for any one party. So there's a lot of okay. compromise, and we're really excited about, yeah, about getting this um, this done this session. Well, this is exciting, and another exciting thing: the Guild is hosting the Wisconsin Beer Lovers Festival this Saturday. Uh, general time from one to five. It's at uh, 5800 North Bayshore Drive in Glendale. Tell us about this because it sounds like a fantastic. Uh, it, Fantastic event if you like beer, a really fantastic event if you love beer. Absolutely, yeah. So this this is an event that was a casualty of uh, COVID. So our last, this is our first event since 2019 um, back at Bayshore. And if you haven't been to Bayshore recently, they have really transformed um, what used to be, you know, Bayshore Mall. There's a, been a ton of development up there. There's a lot of new things to see, a lot of new stores to go to. And we're basically taking over kind of the center part of the uh, shopping center. And there will be about 50 breweries there, food trucks, live music. Uh, you know, it's a great opportunity to drink beer, bring your dad out, or, you know, have, have your dad bring you for Father's Day. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I'll be there pouring beer, so you'll get to sample some of the beers from across the state from Brewers Guild members. And, when you buy a ticket, this is like our biggest fundraiser of the year. So all that money goes to support the industry, and in particular in these times when we're trying to get things done, um, that's super important. So, yeah, we're, we're thrilled to have the event back on and uh, to be working with, with Glendale and with Bayshore on it. So if you buy the tickets early, um, up until oh, – no, you pass that date. So um, 65 bucks if you buy your tickets before Friday, $75 a day of the event. You get food, beer, live music, you get your tasting glass. Now is it I know in, in different states there's you'll get you get a punch card at some of these events and they go, Okay, you can have X amount of samples. How does Wisconsin do that for these sort of big beer fests? No, there there really isn't a punch card. So nice. it's um you can have your fill of beer and um you know, find a way to get home safely. Um, but yeah, you know, there's going to be probably 150 beers to try, if not more. That's and, amazing. um, it should be a beautiful day. It's like perfect time of year for a beer festival. And it, you know, it should, it should really be, um, just a great time to spend time with brewery owners. I mean, this is probably the, the one beer festival where you'll really get to see a lot of the brewery owners pouring beer themselves and interacting with, with the public and not just you know, a salesperson, because the guild, it's really important to guild members, and we really encourage that the owners are there. Dan Katz, the co-founder and CEO of Good City Brewing, goodcitybrewing.com. It seems like the beer community, and I'm talking about uh, you guys as the brewers and the people who are fans and consumers of this, do like to talk about different things. So, like you said, this is a great opportunity for people to come up to you and say, Dan, I, you know, I'm a big fan of this or that, or what, what's on the horizon, or just you know, make some small talk with the people who are creating the product that you really like. What will you be offering on Saturday from Good City? Um, we're going to have our, our, some of our favorites, um, 
Pilsner, because we always want to have a light beer option for people. And uh, Pilsner is our, our most popular beer. We'll also have uh, Firefly IPA, which um, is a hazy, you know, New England style, which yeah. is a you know more recent popular style. And then we'll have Motto as well, which is was kind of the first beer that we ever made. So we should have some really great selections, and maybe we'll you know sneak some uh, some rare stuff in there too for people. But they'll have to come see it. They'll have to come find out. There you go. That's the thing. You got to get your tickets, and you can get your tickets at wisconsinsbrewersguild.com, wibrewersguild.com. You can go and get your tickets before Saturday. Uh, I, can I ask you a question? Because I was I was perusing the good city menus, and you know, there's a style that I didn't I didn't quite get, or I I haven't had. I guess I've never heard the Brett beer. What is you have returned to innocence on the menu at all at all of your locations? What is a Brett yeah, beer? Sure. Brettomyces is um, it's actually like a bacteria. We we actually make that beer at our Deer District location. So we brew. Um, it's essentially we brew a pilsner, and we um, we bring it in. We brew it at the east side, and we bring it in um, containers downtown. And then if you've ever been in that location, we have these large wood tanks, and we age it in the wood tank. It ferments in there and. Returned Innocence is probably in there for over a year, uh, which cool. is pretty unique. And um, the character of the oak, the prior beers that were in that tank, and the yeast strains, um, this is kind of our wild fermentation program. So um, that beer just became ready about two weeks ago. Um, okay. So once it's been in there, then we'll, we'll, carbon, we'll, we'll actually pull it out, we'll put it in kegs, and then it naturally carbonates in the keg. Um, so yeah, Returned Innocence, it's... It, you know, it's going to drink like a lager, but it has, uh, I would say, more body and, and just a little bit um, more, like, spice character. It's not really spice, but I would just say it has kind of a, um, you know, more of a bite to it. It's pretty interesting. And that all comes from, like you said, the yeast and the barrel and what was whatever was in there before. Correct, yeah. Oh, man. It sounds and we very make good. Those off-site. We, we make those off-site because often... Um, there can be cross contamination if you're making that with your regular beer. So you don't want you don't want these strains interfering with you know your regular yeast strains. Well, it's amazing. I always say that brewers are part artist and part mad scientist, and because of yep. the, the the things you guys come up with and put together are always amazing. As you look forward, um, not only for the the future of the industry, because. The craft beer industry is still strong. There was, you know, a little setback right after the pandemic. A few breweries, some breweries closed, but others have opened. Um, what do you see as the the trends coming up as far as either styles? I know everybody now is, you know, there's a lot of sours. There's a lot of uh, the, like you said, the hard seltzers, which are coming into some breweries. Where do you see Wisconsin and the craft beer industry heading? Uh, you're right. There's, I mean, there's certainly no lack of variety of beer. And I think you have a consumer who has sampled, um, you know, over the past decade, all these styles. And, and so what, what we've seen is that uh, people are settling down a little bit into, into their favorites. And yeah. those might be beers that, um, that have been around longer. Um, or were original beers, you know, for us, like a, a beer might be seven years old. Like if you go to Lakefront Brewery, they have beers they've been making for 
35 or 40 years, River West Stein, right? For us, it's Motto, right. it's Pilsner. We've seen, we've seen gravitation back to kind of classic styles and beers that people are familiar with. It's kind of like they're, they're going back to the safety zone. And I think that's good. I, you know, certainly as a brewery and as a business, you want repeat customers. You want people to continue to, to drink and to buy the same beer over and over again because, um, you know, at some point you kind of can't keep making something different. Right. I was going to say it's got to be a little easier. You don't feel loyalty for, if you. Yeah. Right. You don't people feel want, people want what they like. So, and yeah. for you guys, for you guys, it's got to be a little, a little simpler at some point to go. Okay. Yeah, we're going to keep experimenting on things in small batches, but these are our core beers. We know our customers love these beers, and that's you know, that's what we're going to focus on. Yeah, we hear we hear much more right now than ever. Um, we'll hear about it if. We run out of something more so than people asking for something new. So okay, well that makes sense. That's kind of indicated that like, hey, let's make sure we keep a certain number of beers and the ones that people want that we have them all the time. And so that's been a little bit of an adjustment from you know even a couple of years ago. It was like, hey, we need something new every week. Yeah, it, that had to be a little stressful trying for you and the, and the <laughs> brewers to come up with something new every week. Because I would, you know, yeah, there's mean, only so fun. many styles, right? I think it was right? fun for a time. I think, you know, we've run out of beer names. There's probably not any names that haven't been used yet. So that's <laughs> always interesting. <laughs> that is true. All right, I like to ask brewers this because when you're off the clock and you're not at your own place, sometimes it's your own beer, sometimes it's another beer. If you're sitting in the backyard after, you know, after the big, uh, after the big event on Saturday, Sunday, it's Father's Day. You're sitting in the backyard. What's your go-to at-home beer? Uh, my go-to at home is probably one of two. Uh, either home, which is our light lager, um, and fitting obviously for drinking it at home, but it's sure. great, great patio pounder, backyard beer. And then I'm a huge, huge Firefly fan because I love IPAs, and I always, I always gravitate to the IPAs. Very nice. Well, I hope everybody comes out when you go to the Wisconsin Beer Lovers Festival this Saturday at Bayshore in Glendale. Make sure you stop by and say hi to Dan and everybody else from Good City Brewing. They're going to be out there. If you get your tickets now before Friday, they're 65 bucks, 75 day of. And if you want to pay $80, you get the VIP treatment, which is always nice. It's an extra hour and a swag bag. So look at it. For five bucks more, if you were going to buy day of, might as well go early and be a VIP. You can go to uh, WisconsinBrewersGuild.com. That's WIBrewersGuild.com. And for everything Good City, go to GoodCityBrewing.com. Dan, it was a pleasure. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, we'll see everybody on Saturday. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Dan Cat. He is the co-founder and CEO of Good City Brewing. And again, the Wisconsin Beer Lovers Festival is this Saturday, June 17th at Bayshore in Glendale. Go to WIBrewingBrewersGuild.com for tickets. Let's do this. Then there's more. It's WTMJ Night. If you are a beer lover, head out to Bayshore on Saturday. That's I love those kind of beer fests because if you're, if you're a beer lover... 
uh, or even just curious about beer and you, you like beer, being able to talk to the people who make it is always a lot of fun. And, and the community, the beer drinking community, is a, a fun group of folks. Unless, of course, they turn against you, which they have against, as you know, Bud Light, um, which means that for the first time in over 20 years, last month Bud Light was not the top-selling beer in the country. No. Uh, a lot of that is obviously because of the boycott that's uh, ongoing. Um, Anheuser-Busch has taken a beating because of the uh, they chose to align themselves with a transgender influencer. Uh, she posted something on Instagram. People got all upset, so Bud Light is falling. The top-selling beer in America as through May or in May was Modelo. Modelo. I, I like Medella. I like Medella Negra, the dark one, but I like regular Medello. I'm surprised, you know, that it is uh, it has beaten out Bud Light, but in light of recent events, not so. For the four weeks ending on June 3rd, Medello captured 8.4 percent of the U.S. beer retail sales. Bud Light fell to second place with 7.3 dollar sales were uh, equally grim for Bud Light during that period. Sales were sales fell 24 percent. 24.4%. Modelo's grew 12%. Uh, Modelo seems to be increasing its sales growth according to their um, PR people uh, as we get deeper into summer. So, I don't know. I'm a, uh, I don't mind. I like, I like a nice Mexican lager. I like them when they're brewed by somebody local, but I also do like, uh, I like Modelo. Pacifico's a good one. Are you a beer drinker, Matt? A little bit. I'm more of a local beer fan, not so much of the mass-produced kind. Oh, look at you. I like the beer snob attitude. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, what I enjoy. You upstate New York has some great beers. Brew City, you know, you got to love it. Sure, yeah. Oh, listen, I, I tend to drink mostly local stuff. But every once in a while, you know, if I'm out, that's the thing. If you're out somewhere, they're... Their local brew, unless you're going to a brewery or something like that, a lot of times you're forced to drink the the macro brews. And as far as those go, Modelo's, Modelo's not bad. Not bad at all. So Modelo number one. We'll see if uh, Bud Light can regain any of their market share. I'm not sure uh, they can, but they have, they have an advocate. We'll talk about that in a little bit, too. On the other side of the news... Teachers in one local district are saying, hey, uh, we need some more dough or a bunch of us may walk. We'll talk about that and so much more after the news, which comes your way right after this on WTMJ. Day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Welcome to our number two of the big program. Glad you're here. 855-616-1620 is the Old National Bank. Talk and text line, Old National Bank, get old. That's how you get a hold of us. Whether you want to call or text, either way is fine with us. Um, most schools out now for summer break. If uh, you know a teacher, they are probably still resting, trying to recuperate uh, from what is undoubtedly a long year for uh, for teachers dealing with their students. Well, Oak Creek, their teachers are a little upset, and rightfully so. I don't know if you're aware of this, but up until 2011, there was um, 
a step program in the state where teachers who had been at a district for a certain amount of time, every year they got a little increase. Well, in 2011, Act 10 passed, and that did away with those kind of step systems. So that was that took away teachers' power to negotiate and negotiate salaries like most people do. They can, you know, you can either directly negotiate or if you're represented by a union, you have your union negotiate. Well, uh, teachers across the state, this is no surprise, it's not only happening in Wisconsin, it's happening everywhere. Teachers are trying to get paid to match inflation. They're trying to get, you know, more money for what they're doing. Well, about 400 educators in Oak Creek uh, signed a petition that they handed over at the school board meeting the other night asking for raises and warning that many of them have considered leaving the district. When you hear that, where does your sympathy lie? Do you feel, hey, these, uh, these teachers have worked hard, they've got degrees, most of them have then advanced degrees, and they're doing one of the most important jobs in the nation, yes, they should be able to. They should be able to, you know, get a little more money. Or are you like some people who go, "Hey, this is what they signed up for. Uh, they they got to stop whining about it. They get summers off, blah blah blah." That is, I will say, that is a very uh, uneducated take. <laughs> but some people feel that way. So there was a survey over the winter by the Oak Creek Education Association. And in that survey, this is this is kind of shocking, 67% of the 255 educators who responded said they had seriously considered leaving the district in the last year. Of those, about 80 said that pay was the reason. And you may think, okay, let them go. They'll go somewhere else. Well, the problem becomes, if that if that's the mentality and if the district decides that that's what we're going to do, you're going to be able to attract new teachers, but they're not going to stay. Any teacher who's been there a while is going to look for a district that's going to pay more. So in order for a district to be successful, you need a nice blend of new teachers and seasoned teachers. So the new teachers have someone to, some people to learn from, older, more experienced teachers to mentor them. And then you're also on the side of, the new teachers, you're getting fresh blood, you're getting new ideas, you're getting uh, an enthusiasm that comes from somebody who's only been in a job for a short amount of time, and they're very eager before they get burned out, before they get uh, have a chance to, you know, decide to move on either to another district or just to leave teaching altogether because of all the challenges that go along with that. So... The Oak Creek Education Association, which is the union that represents the teachers, is calling for an 8% salary increase to match inflation and a step system so staff members know that they'll get a certain salary bump with each year of experience. So a lot of districts, a lot of districts have held off on making those plans because they were waiting to hear if the state was going to give more money. Well, that, that just happened. They're, um, they're trying to, they're, they're planning, the legislature, to give Wisconsin schools about a billion in additional revenue through new funding and property tax increases. So that's coming. But that's why some school districts were saying, well, we can't really make any promises because we don't know if we're going to have the money. Well, now they're, they're getting some more money, so some are waiting. Other districts were already kind of revisiting this, even though 
Act 10 said the teachers didn't have room to negotiate and there wasn't going to be this step system and blah, blah, blah. Some districts were smart and said, you know what, we'll, you know, we could talk about this. We could figure it out without having to call strikes, without having the union negotiate it, anything. We'll just, we'll just take some preemptive measures because we want to retain our teachers. We want to keep our teachers happy. Uh, so, you know, let's, let's figure out what's going on. Milwaukee Public Schools has committed to an 8% salary hike. That's the maximum allowed under Act 10. Um, Wauwatosa has uh, a plan made, made them, the MPS plan made them concerned that they were going to lose teachers in Wauwatosa. So um, they announced they're going to double the step increases on district salary scale. So teachers would get 6% pay increases for staying another year. Uh, the district last year implemented a 3% pay pump, so the teachers look like they're going to uh, to get a little money. Now, Oak Creek Franklin School District starts teachers at $49,000. Okay, you know, let's see. Everybody knows if you go into education, you're not going to get rich, but you also don't want to starve. So, okay, they start at $49,000. You're, you're going to get new teachers at that starting salary, obviously, because it's a pretty high salary for the region. But the problem comes that down the line, after five years, you're not guaranteed that you're going to get any more. There are guaranteed raises in the first five years, but then you don't know. So a step system is, according to the union, would encourage teachers to stay in the district longer. And that's, like I said before, that is a good thing for districts. It's a good thing for your kids. It's a good thing for, uh, you know, teacher retention. If, if people are happy, if they're getting paid, everybody knows when you go to work, every day is not a walk through the garden. So you know there's going to be rough days. You know you're going to have, as a teacher, you're going to have rough years. You're going to, you know, some years you get an easy class. Some years you don't, and it's it's rough. But if you also don't feel like you're being taken advantage of, that makes things a little more bearable. Where do you fall on this? Are teachers, are, are these teachers in Oak Creek out of line? I don't think so. If you're a teacher, what, you know, how is your district handling this? I know you probably don't want to think about school if you're a teacher because now you're just out relaxing, but, you know, everybody wants to think about their pay. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank Talk and Text Line. We'll hear from you after this. WTMJ. Now, more of WTMJ Nights. We were talking about the Oak Creek uh, Franklin teachers who, 400 of them, signed a petition and told the school board, listen, we're, you know, if we don't get some more money, we're thinking of leaving. That's a lot of teachers to go. Um, I'm I'm always going to back the teachers. I, You know, as a... As a a person who is in schools every day teaching, I uh, I have a soft spot, but uh, I also see the work that goes into it, the dedication, and the fact that you know, it's uh, it's a it's not an easy job. I know a lot of you have very hard jobs. You know, a lot of people work backbreaking jobs and stuff, and I don't take away from that. I think everybody should be able to get paid what they're worth. Uh, I think a lot of people don't hold teachers to the uh, the worth that they should have. So 
you know, I'm I'm with these people. Uh, Jeff from Fox Point says, I subbed at Oak Creek for a while. My degree of sympathy is very high. Although I saw a lot of behavior challenges from students, I was very impressed with the work of the teachers, especially those in the tech ed program, working with students in co-ops who were already making more money than I was as a sub at the time. Considering inflation and the work they're doing, I think they have a good point. So I do too. Now, We've all heard that since, you know, in the pandemic, people started drinking more, right? That was all the studies have said, because we were home. We, we had nowhere to go, trapped in our houses. People started to drink more. I know, uh, you know, we, in the early days of the pandemic, a lot of wine bottles were emptied here at the uh, Noonan Estates. And, um, you know, that was, that was the way it is. But this is a surprising fact that Americans are drinking as much alcohol now as we did during the Civil War. And they didn't have TV or Netflix or anything, or computers to distract them. So they were just drinking because it was ugh, Civil War times, and everybody was dirty, and there was nothing going on, so they were just drinking. Uh, but you know who's to blame for this? It's not the young people, and for once it's not guys. It's the ladies. Oh, that's right, ladies. Put down your wine glass and text uh, text in if you disagree. Uh, but it is true. According to a study by the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, the average American consumes 50% more wine and 60% more alcohol than in 1995. Now, Sam, or um, Matt, in 1995, you were probably three. So I'm guessing that that number is pretty accurate for you. 1995, I was non-existent. So that number, man, wow. that number seems accurate. Non-existent? Oh I, I I don't even know it if I was a thought at that point. Extremely old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, 1995 doesn't seem that far away, but, but I guess it was. I'm trying to think. Oh yeah. Maybe my daughter wasn't around then either. All right. Anyway. Uh, 50% more wine, 60% more hard alcohol than in 95. Uh, I don't know. Like for me, I don't know if that's true. I, that's got, I, maybe I'm not an average American, but I also, you know, uh, that's what 20, 28 years ago. Yeah. I was drinking a lot more 28 years ago than I am now. So for me, it's gone down. Uh, at least one of the dem demographic attributes is the rise of women. According to Iowa State University Susan Stewart, the story is women. Wines are marketed to women. The fancy labels with the flowers on them and the pretty colors. Ah, uh, yes. It's infiltrated our daily activities that didn't typically involve alcohol, like sporting events or a 5K. There's a beer tent at the end. And think about that is true. All right? And I'm listen, I got nothing against uh, the ladies who lunch and they like to have rosé all day and all that. But think about... Like when you were a kid, and if you were in baseball or football, you name the extracurricular, and your parents came to watch you at a game on a Saturday, nobody brought beer. Nobody brought, you know, a little a cooler with a couple cocktails in it so they could sit on the grass and watch your children play. We don't, you know, you drank at a barbecue, you drank at home or in a bar or restaurant. That was it. You weren't, you weren't bringing uh, liquor everywhere you went. And, it is. I was talking to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and she she used to drink. She doesn't drink anymore. And uh, she said, "Oh yeah, one of you know, I was talking. She has two uh, teenage sons, and one of them told her, oh, 'I'm glad you're not one of those moms who drink wine.' 
And I'm not talking about, you know, you, you have a glass of wine with dinner or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the wine moms or the, the booze dads. It's the same thing where you can't go anywhere without a beer. Uh, you know, I remember, I remember years and years ago being at Disney World or Disneyland rather and going, Oh, yeah, you can't get a beer here. That's weird, but okay. But now people expect to be able to get a beer or a drink anywhere they go. And again, I have nothing against alcohol. I just thought it was funny that for the first time, guys are not to blame for the uptick. It's the ladies. Statistics show that while men once outnumbered women three to one for drinking and binge drinking, the genders are now close to even. We have the whole idea of wine moms, women who have a glass of wine after a long day, looking after the kids, said a professor of history from Carrollton University. I, yeah, I... I don't remember that being the case until we were, I know my mom would, when we were in high school and stuff and we would go out or when we came home from college, my brothers and I, and we'd go out, my mom liked to um, stay up until we got home, until we got to a point where, like when we would come home from college and there was no curfew, she didn't stay home. But when we had a curfew in high school, she would stay up. My dad would sleep. He was, he probably was like, well, I'm going to go to sleep if they really need me, somebody's going to wake me up. So he would go to sleep, but my mom would sit in the kitchen. And I know as she sat there every once in a while, she'd have a can or two old style while she was waiting for us. But it was never, you know, we never really saw them. That was when adults didn't really drink in front of their kids, you know. And now adults drink in front of their kids all the time, and I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. Um, I know when my daughter was younger, she'd... Whenever she saw my wife or I have a drink, it was very much moderation. So it was a couple, couple of uh, you know, couple of beers at a cookout or something like that, or a beer at dinner, um, which I hoped showed her that you know, alcohol is like anything else, and it can be it can be enjoyable or it can be a problem. And if it's not, uh, you know, if you can enjoy it responsibly, then that's cool. And if not, you know. You got to figure something out. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping that was the <laughs> the lesson I taught her. She didn't uh, she didn't drink for a long time, which was uh, you know made my life and my wife's life a lot easier. Uh, somebody's saying hard seltzers is to blame. Yeah, there's no law with White Claw. You know that. I I do not matter. You a seltzer guy? Do you like those? I can tolerate a seltzer. I'm not a huge carbonation guy, but you know, a seltzer once in a blue moon maybe might work. All right. I'm not, yeah, I'm not a seltzer guy. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna drink, I'm gonna drink beer or I'm gonna drink, you know, um well pretty much anything but a seltzer. That's, <laughs> I was gonna start listing all the things I drink and then I was like, well it'd be a lot easier if I just say the things I won't, and that's a seltzer. I've tried them a couple times and I'm like, pass. Seltzers and ciders. Not for not for me. Uh not for me at all. All right, we gotta do this, then we'll come back. It's gonna be news time on WTMJ. WTMJ Nights. On the other side of the news, a very famous person is thumbing his nose at boycotters. We'll talk about that and so much more. But first, we have to go to the WTMJ 24-hour breaking news center. That's where Wyatt Barmore Pooley is standing board. Back to WTMJ Nights. Brian Nooner, WTMJ Nights. 
855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk text line, old National Bank. Get old. Uh, we've been following this kind of, not following, not like, uh, you know, big breaking news all the time, but we're paying attention to this boycott of Bud Light. We just talked about how Modelo has taken over as the top-selling beer in the United States after over 20 years of Bud Light being the number one selling beer. Uh, you know all about the boycott and all this. And then, you know, when it first started, there was a lot of, oh, big attention-seeking behavior. Uh, you may have seen the video of Kid Rock taking a gun and shooting cases of Bud Light and people throwing Bud Light out the window and bars saying they were no longer going to carry Bud Light. And, you know, people... Listen, I'm good with people who, if you want to boycott something, that's fine. Good for you. That's, uh, you know, I'm I'm okay with that. So you're right. You don't want to drink Bud Light? That's fine. But then you can't, I also think then you can't get mad at people who are going to serve Bud Light. And that's kind of what's happening now because if you're a country music fan of any sort, you know Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks has been huge for forever, basically. Since, I don't know, it's got to be late 80s, early 90s. Garth Brooks has been around. Um, you know, from all reports, good guys. Seems kind of goofy, uh, you know, a little bit sometimes. But I'm a big Garth Brooks fan. Always have been since the first album. So he is opening a brand new place on uh, Broadway Street, South Broadway in Nashville. And that, if you've never been to Nashville, you're missing out. Nashville's a fun town. But over the last decade or so, Broadway Street, which used to just have a couple of bars here and there, uh, but now that the the arena has opened up down there and all kinds of stuff, that's the that's a touristy spot. When people go there for bachelorette parties or bachelor parties, that's that's Nash Vegas right there, Broadway. All the big bars, all the honky tonks, all the all that kind of stuff. So Garth is opening uh, right down the street from Kid Rock's place, he's opening the Friends in Low Places Bar and Honky Tonk. Um, so a lot of people are upset because he came out the other day. Uh, he came out the other day and said that, you know what? Um, we're going to serve all kinds of beer in my new bar. We're going to serve every kind of beer. And so he's caused a little bit of a stir. So now um, people are calling for boycotts on Garth Brooks. Explain to me why somebody's lifestyle who is not affecting you in any way is going to make you turn your back on an artist that you've, you know, because there, there's been footage of people burning his CDs and tweeting they're never going to listen to him again and blah, blah, blah. And that's because he came out, he was very... Very uh, clear on where he stood. Um, I know this sounds corny, he said. I want it to be the Chick-fil-A of honky-tonks, which is a bad analogy. Uh, Chick-fil-A <laughs> Chick has their own issues. And if you don't know Chick-fil-A's issues, look it up. But a lot of people are very upset with Chick-fil-A. Probably not the people who are upset about Bud Light. It's opposite sides of the coin. If you're a Chick-fil-A person, you're probably not drinking Bud Light. And if you're drinking Bud Light, you might have a problem with Chick-fil-A. So that's that's the only part of Garth's statement that I was like, oh, you should have picked, you know, Sonic or McDonald's or anything else. 
But anyway, he said, I want to be the Chick-fil-A of honky-tonks. I want it to be a place you feel safe in. I want it to be a place where you feel like there are manners and people like one another. And yes, we're going to serve every brand of beer. We just are. It's not our decision to make. Our thing is, if you are uh, let into this house, love one another. If you're an a-hole, well, there are plenty of other places on Lower Broadway. Pretty straight up. Pretty straightforward. I like that, and it does it does sound a little corny when you say I want people to feel safe and loved, but it's true. You know, if you're a business person, you want to be as inclusive as possible, and you want them to come in. Well, that comment got people, oh, boy, he got, he, he, people got all bent out of shape. So then the other day he said, uh, you know, he saw people wanting to burn his CDs and his merchandise, and he said, quote, I get it. Everybody's got their opinions, but inclusiveness is always going to be me. I think diversity is the answer to the problems that are here and the answer to the problems that are coming. So I love diversity, all-inclusive, so all are welcome. I understand that might not be other people's opinion, but that's okay. Man, they have their beliefs, I have mine. Um, so he intends to have the most popular beers on tap. So he's probably going to have Modelo on tap and Bud Light and whatever. Now, one, I got to say, one guy who came out um, and supported him is uh, Rich from Big and Rich. He owns a bar right down the street there, too, and he said he was not going to serve it. And he came out today and said, hey, I, you know, I applaud Garth for standing by his principles, and if he wants to serve it, that's terrific. You know, I hope his business is a big success. He may find out that people aren't buying it, and... If that's the case, maybe he, you know, maybe he stops some, but he's going to have it. And so, you know, I don't think, to be honest, I don't think Garth Brooks is afraid of a boycott. But it, I, I still don't understand why, why it's such a big deal. You know, yeah, you could be unhappy with, you could be unhappy with Bud Light if you want to be, and not drink Bud Light anymore. That's okay. But if somebody's serving it. You know, but uh, Garth Brooks didn't make the decision that Anheuser-Busch's marketing team did. Garth Brooks is somebody, if you were a fan, that has entertained you for decades, and now you're going to go, wait a minute, he's opening a restaurant and he's going to have the audacity to serve a beer that a transgender woman drank? Well, I'm burning everything. One, you were never really a fan. Two, why does it why does it bother people so much? And three, it really is not going to matter in the big picture. Now it has mattered Dan Heiser Bush, but you know what? If you go into Garth Brooks' place and you don't want to drink a Bud Light, I'm sure he'll sell you some other uh, expensive beer because you got to figure all those celebrity joints they're charging big money for their drinks. So he'll sell you something else. It's okay. You can come on in and, uh, you know, grab a little, uh, grab something else, grab some food, listen to some music, you know, get a calling Baton Rouge tater tot basket and some punch. You'll be fine. It just doesn't make any sense. But that's, that's a good, that's a way for people to hide their true feelings. By just saying, well, we're, not, we're, you know, it's family values. And then I saw people on Twitter attacking him because he got a divorce 
and he may or I don't know the the history. They were alleging that he had cheated on his first wife with Trisha Yearwood and then married Trisha Yearwood and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, why are you bringing all this up? This is all old news. It, it's, it's so ridiculous. Maybe we need to all get back to where we just minded our own business. That might be, that might be nice, you know? And I got no skin in this game because I didn't drink Bud Light before. But, <laughs> but I do listen to Garth Brooks, and I have gone to his shows. His shows are a little, i got to be honest. I don't know if, you, if you've seen Garth Brooks. His shows are a little, a little corny because you can tell, and I guess this is every concert, it's all very planned out. His little patter between songs is all very you can tell very scripted just like just like if you see anybody and they're doing some audience talk it's all scripted out because they have to be they have to be out of there at a certain time uh you know so i don't know but that's what uh, that's what's happening in nashville have you ever been to nashville matt only for about nine hours i've been to nashville so a little bit but not a whole lot what? Did you go for a Titans game or a No, a, so actually I was Sabres, driving back Sabres hockey game? No, I was in uh Florida for spring training, driving down and then driving back. I got stuck in Atlanta traffic for about 3 extra hours and then I was intended to stay the night in Nashville after coming up from Atlanta and I didn't get in until around midnight, so I went out, got some Nashville hot chicken and then had to leave the next morning. Wow. I I I had a feeling if there was a story, it would involve sports in some way. After last night, when you said you pretty much you pretty much uh, are exclusive to sports, I'm going to find a story. I'm going to get a story out of you that has nothing to do with sports at some point. I'm not sure what it'll involve, but I'm sure you have something that's not sports related. I'm sure we'll, we'll hit it at some point or another. I'm sure. I got a lot of stories that are not related to sports, but it just got—it has to be the right avenue. You know, there's a lot involving sports in my life, but uh, I'm sure we'll hit it eventually. All right. Are you starting to get excited because uh, mini camps are coming up? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on around the NFL. The Packers, they're in a certain state right now. Uh, the Cincinnati yes, Bengals, the A lot of the, the old Bears. Packers are in a different state. <laughs> the Empire State. Oh, yeah. Adrian Amos going to New York. The Jets, they're, we'll see what happens. That could be a very intriguing AFC East. You just don't know what can happen out there. I think the Jets honestly could run away with a wild card spot. I don't think they're as good as Buffalo yet. But the thing with the NFL this year is it's the year of unpredictability because you just don't know with all these young quarterbacks, all these quarterbacks in new places, you just don't know who could come out in what way, who could come out firing, who could struggle. It's all uncertain. Did you see that story? Who's Tampa Bay's quarterback uh, now that Tom Brady is gone? It's either going to be Baker Mayfield, he's the it's front right, runner, Baker Mayfield. or it could be Kyle Baker Trask. Baker Mayfield played for Oklahoma, right? Yes. All right, so Baker Mayfield played for Oklahoma. He lost uh, a big playoff game in college to, uh, I, I don't know, It was I want to say Texas, but I, don't, I think it was Texas. Well, Texas's kicker came into Tampa Bay's camp the other day to try out for you know position. Baker Mayfield walked up to him, stone-faced, shook his hand, and goes, I still don't like you, and then walked away. Let it go, Baker. You're in the NFL. You're a, you're a quarterback in the NFL. Let the college game go. I guess Texas beat them on a field goal, and Baker has not let it go. Seems like a baby to me. 
but you know, pampered athlete. What are you going to do? Did you see that story, Matt? Yeah, I did see that story, and it. Honestly, if I was in Baker's shoes, there wouldn't be many college games that would get to me, but Oklahoma losing that game to Georgia, who eventually fell to Alabama in the national championship. Oh, Georgia, okay. I would I would still be frustrated, especially it was because it was really? on Blankenship that made the difference. Now, I don't think there's a whole lot of beef. I think it's more of Blankenship having those bragging rights and Mayfield just wanting to get it out of the way. But <laughs> I'm shocked that this made national headlines. It shows that everything else is uh, quiet in the world of the NFL. Yeah, not, a of, not a lot of news coming out of Tampa Bay. <laughs> no, we probably won't get any Tom news Brady in the NFL until about six we weeks from on. now. We just we just let it go and let. The, but this is this is what I don't understand: is you've got all this success and you're still going to hold on to some beef from college, and it wasn't even a personal thing. It's not like that kicker stole Baker Mayfield's girlfriend. Or slapped his mom at a Waffle House. He just beat him in a football game. Maybe had they been better, they wouldn't have lost that game. You know? But you got to let it go. Let it go. I'm going to let it go now, and we're going to do a little business here on WTMJ. Back to WTMJ Nights. Slowing things down a little bit. WTMJ Nights. If you order a lot of uh, takeout food, you know somewhere in your house there is a drawer or a Ziploc bag or some sort of container filled with a bunch of old packets of ketchup, mustard, hot sauce, soy sauce, uh, hot mustard sauce, maybe a little sweet and sour sauce, whatever it is. You got the little packets of sauce everywhere. Ours are in a Ziploc bag in a cabinet. Now, we keep adding to that Ziploc bag, and yet... We never use the sauces that are in there. I don't know if that makes us unique or makes us like everybody else. I remember it in different apartments. It was usually a drawer next to the stove when I was single that would be filled with all sorts of, uh, you know, condiments. A lot of hot sauce packets from like taco places. Uh, I never really kept the ketchup because a lot of places use uh, really off-brand ketchup. Don't don't care for it. But it was. You know, um, hot mustard I always kept because they never give you enough hot mustard. Sweet and sour sauce I usually kept, and uh, hot sauce. Ketchup, mustard. I always, had, I always had ketchup and mustard in the fridge. Um, we know that Matt's roommates eat all his food, so he probably had to hoard those packets for sustenance when he would, uh, you know, maybe keep them under the mattress. Like some people used to keep girly magazines, Matt would keep all his packets of condiments in there. And at night, after his roommates had eaten all his food, he would go in there and just uh, drain those packets. But now you might want to hang on to your packets. This is very, oh, man, the fun never stops. The folks at Heinz are working to turn the drawer of shame into a point of pride. They've announced a new line of condiment packets designed to be collectibles. Oh, good. Uh, There's Sauce America packets. And they include 50 United States-inspired condiment wrappers. The unique design for each state features its most well-known food. Guess what Wisconsin's packets are? Cheese curds. Yes. So Wisconsin's packet features cheese curds. Idaho's design includes French fries. So it's the most iconic food from every state. You're going to find these Designs on packets of ketchup, mayonnaise, mustard, ranch, barbecue sauce, and tartar sauce. They're going to be available wherever you get single-serve 
you know, sauces. So wherever you go to get your fast food or your takeout stuff, make sure you're watching if they use Heinz products because you're going to want to you're going to want to save these. It's going to be like Beanie Babies. You're going to make a million dollars. You're going to it's going to be unbelievable how much cash you're going to make out of these. That's probably not true. But uh, they're going to be at uh, restaurants, drive-throughs, theme parks, movie theaters, stadiums. Uh, it's going to run through June, July, and August. They, according to Heinz, they say from art to coins, stamps, and more, collecting culture has become a popular practice with devoted fan bases. How many of you are a devoted fan base of condiment packets? I've heard of matchbooks. I've heard of all sorts of things. I don't know about condiment packets, but Heinz fans everywhere collect packets in their homes, bags, and cars to ensure they're always on hand in case of a condiment conundrum. Sauce America collection, we're excited to pay homage to this fan behavior with the unique hometown pride-evoking designs and multiple chances for fans to win prizes. Did I not mention there were prizes? There are prizes. Um... They're running a contest in which contestants take a photo of each packet they collect and upload it to SauceMerica.com. Heinz is going to verify the entries, and based on how many unique packets each person collects, they could win prizes ranging from 500 to a $100,000 grand prize. How much will you have to spend on fast food at any of the above locations to balance out even winning that $100,000? You'll probably make a little bit more, but probably not. Um, and if you're wondering if those packets that are in your house are still good to eat, uh, ketchup and mayonnaise last about a year. Mustard, taco sauce, and Parmesan cheese last a year to two years. Tabasco sauce, three to four years. And if you have honey, salt, or sugar, you can keep those until the end of time. So start collecting now. You can do it while we do this on WTMJ. The day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talking text line. That's how you get a hold of us. Uh, third hour of the show. We're here. Another uh, another full show tonight. That's exciting. Matt is manning the phones, so if you call in, be nice to him. Uh, we were talking about Heinz and their new Sauce America program. So save those, uh, save those packets. You might win a prize. Don't forget, you can always uh, upload them. But I know you were thinking, Brian, you're two hours into the program, and we haven't heard from a Knights poet, the poet laureate of WTMJ Knights. Could the poet have taken a night off? And I thought maybe the poet, you know, our poet laureate, the. Uh, I forget what his cat, what their, I don't know if it's a man or a woman. I forget what their cabinet position is. I think they were, you know, they're in charge of all poetry in our micronation. I don't want to bring that up again. It got people all confused the other night. They thought we were actually trying to start our own country, Matt. So I don't want to, uh, you know, we don't want to bring that back up and get people confused again. Matt, of course, was taking all sports in our micronation. He was handling all the team recruitment and uh, rules for all of that. But the Knights poet has weighed in. Finally, a topic has struck their interest, and they said, hey, it's time to send out another poem. So it is time, once again, for WTMJ Poetry Corner. So the pack of packets that resides in our homes now become collectibles like groups of garden gnomes. 
The problem I have with all those darn sauces is the fact that we forget them, which adds up our losses. For when we finally look at the loot, we realize most have dried up like an old crusty boot. We all think that someday we will use them for sure, but in reality, these items turn into some weird smelly cure. For when you open them and try to squeeze out the stuff that you get, you will make the, the stuff that you get will make you have gout. So toss all those packets the moment you get home. If you do decide to collect them, make sure you spray them with antiseptic foam. A Knight's Poet. Very nice, Knight's Poet. Once again, WTMJ Poetry Corner, the most cultural segment anywhere on the radio. Is that scientifically proven? Probably not. Is it a weird flex for me? You bet it is. But do you have a poet laureate? I don't think so. So there you go. Thanks again, a night's poet. We enjoy that quite a bit. Um, do you, I, I now I have to go back because Matt, I know you you had roommates. Your your apartment hunting. Do you your old roommates? Did you guys have a drawer full of these sauces? So we didn't necessarily have a drawer full of these, but my roommates were huge fans of Chinese food. Collectively, right. they would order Chinese food probably three times a week on average. And one of my roommates, yeah, cheap, I don't know, good food, I don't know what their logic was, but (laughs) it seems that we'd be getting Chinese food at the door, again, three days out of the seven. But one of my roommates, so with Chinese food, you get your fortune cookie, you get duck sauce, soy sauce, they basically throw a whole bunch in the bag, and then you pick and choose what you want. One of my roommates would eat his entree dry, and then he would take all of the duck sauce packets and tear them open and then suck the duck sauce out of the packet raw, basically. And he'd do this for probably six to maybe eight packets, depending how many of us ordered Chinese food. We call it Dane's Donation. We donate our duck sauce to him, and he would just suck it all down. I wasn't a fan. It was one of the very interesting things that he does, but uh, we love him for it. That's that's a tad bit gross, um, but now why wouldn't he put the duck sauce on anything? He just enjoyed duck sauce by itself. I that don't know. Much? I don't know. He must enjoy the duck sauce by itself if he's willing to do that. Did you guys but... ever ask him like, is this something he did as a child? Is this was he uh, was he living in a car and that was his only nourishment for <laughs> six months? Well, there has to be there has to be that doesn't just happen that you eat duck sauce like a popsicle. I don't know. Really? I've never like a juice box. In the nearly five years that I've known him, I have never asked him that. Really? It might be <laughs> well, a question. Would, I would have asked him that the first night. Well, how about this? I'll I'll send him a message and we'll see if we get an answer before the show's out. All right. Yeah. I just well see that I, that also shows the difference in people. Now you lived with him for five years. Five years he did this as you say th- about three nights a week. And it ne- and you never asked him about it. Guys can go their entire lives and not know anything about the people who are supposedly closest to them. That that to me is hilarious. That you would never go, dude. What's the deal with the duck sauce? You're just slurping it out of the little the little packet instead of putting it on your. Uh... Now, did he order the same thing too, or did he did he switch up his menu? No, the menu varied, but the duck sauce was a constant. But the duck sauce was a constant. 
All right. Well, listen. Yeah, for, you know. Well, you don't have to do it tonight, but maybe maybe sometime you'll be dining again, and you'll see some other unusual habit that he has, just for your own for your own edification, to make yourself feel like you're you know paying attention to your friends. Ask him. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> if this Jeff says if this guy does not already have a nickname, you should definitely call him Duck Sauce. Did you guys call him Duck Sauce? He had a lot of nicknames. Duck Sauce was one that would be. In the moment. So okay. it'd be like if I was sitting in the living room watching TV, he'd be sitting at the table eating his Chinese food, and I wanted his attention. I'd be like, hey, duck sauce. But it wouldn't right. come up there, there out of context. <laughs> All right. So in context, it works perfectly. And he would just he'd just break him up and <laughs> suck it right out of there. Huh? Like a shot of whiskey. Wow. All right. Well, that's – I've never heard of it. Guy wants to enjoy his duck sauce. God bless him. You know, I've seen people take their finger, put them in the. You know, if you get the spicy sauce at uh, wherever, and you're dunking, and there's some left over, people use their finger, get the rest of it out of there. Guess it's uh, people like their sauce. All right, well, good for him. Uh, you know what? Uh, what else people like to do? They like to punch Nazis right in the face. Who wouldn't like to punch a Nazi right in the face? I'll tell you who does want to punch a Nazi, but I won't do it right now. I'll do it after this on WTMJ. Back to WTMJ Nights. Brian Noonan, WTMJ Nights. I try to be uh, forthcoming on the program, let you in a little bit on my life. We talk about different things. Uh, I try to do that with the people on the show. We've been learning about Matt. He is new. Uh, he told us about his friend, who, for all intents and purposes, we'll just call Duck Sauce. You said, Matt, now you sent him a text. Do you have further information about Duck Sauce? So I do have further information, and apparently this has a very shallow origin. I thought it was something that he did throughout high school, throughout middle school. I thought it was just something that he came in with. But apparently he says, and I quote, I mean, I just suck on the packets themselves instead of put them on food. We know that. And then I asked, how did it start? And he said, I wanted to freak out one of our other roommates. And I also think that one of our other roommates, a different roommate, said that I wouldn't do it. So he was just trying to prove himself and prove someone else wrong and freak out another roommate. So he did it on a dare to freak somebody out, and now it's become a thing. Yes. Now it's become his brand. Yes. All right. Well, yeah, that's not, I was hoping for some, you know, uh, big traumatic story. But that makes sense. I get doing it on a dare. And then he must have liked it. So it's all right. Well, thank you for getting to the bottom of that. Now we can all move on with our lives. I don't know if anybody was really holding their breath. Other than me, I seem to be the only one invested in uh, what brought on this behavior of your roommate. Uh, we were talking about uh, punching Nazis. And who doesn't love to punch a Nazi? Uh, I think all Nazis should be punched. There's other groups that uh, should be punched. And if you want to put... Start a list, 855-616-1620. Not, we're going to say figuratively punched, because I don't want to condone violence or, uh, you know, I'm not giving a call to action for you to punch people, but figuratively. If you could give a figurative punch to a certain group of people, who would they be? Nazis are at the top of everybody's list. If you don't want to punch a Nazi, I really don't want to know who you are. Indiana Jones wants to punch a Nazi. He's always punched Nazis. Harrison Ford was is doing press now for his new Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and My Wheelchair Has a Flat Tire. Wait, no, oh, Dial of Destiny. Okay. 
He's very old. Uh, but he was in an interview, and you know he's been the subject of memes about punching Nazis and all of that. So in the interview, the um, the interviewer decided, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle this serious subject, and this is what it sounded like. In terms of real life resonance, Indiana Jones has taken on this elevated symbolic significance in the recent years because we've actually seen bizarrely proliferation of actual real life Nazis parading around, and some of them are getting punched. So what I want to know is, would the ultimate Nazi puncher, Indiana Jones, would he, would he support these people doing the punching? He'd push them out of the way uh, to, to get in the first punch, <laughs> as, w as well he should. Yeah. Uh, that was a black and white world, mm -hmm. and this evil presented itself to the world. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's, in, it's, it's, it's incalculable. That that this that this vision of of evil not be confronted. Wow, I like that uh, Harrison Ford. First of all, inhabits Indiana Jones that much, and secondly, took it from what was going to be, I think, just a funny, a funny question, and the guy was thinking it was going to be a funny answer to a uh, you know, a very thought out and very serious answer. All right, so. I think we can all uh, we can all agree that Indiana Jones would punch a Nazi. Can we all agree too that at some point you're too old to play an action hero? Am I the only one who's now? Granted, I haven't seen an Indiana Jones movie since probably the Last Crusade, so may, maybe the second the second or third Indiana Jones movie. That was it. I, I was out. I punched out because I couldn't. You know, I couldn't put a guy. Believe a guy who's older than me by a lot doing being an action hero. I want my action hero that I want my action heroes a little younger. But are you I don't know if you've if you've been following this series, if you're going to see this one, um the Di Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. He said it's his fifth and now final film in the franchise. It would have to be. Wouldn't it? How long can you keep doing these kind of movies? And how long? I guess we'll see if people go to see this one, if it's going to be it. But I just thought it was amusing that he got so, he got very serious about punching Nazis and the evil. I think it's okay also to punch uh, the KKK. If the KKK is around, you can punch them. Again, figuratively, friends, groups that uh, you should be allowed to punch. People who are on their phone in public speaking really loudly, you should be able to punch them. People who don't say excuse me when they bump into you, you should be able to punch them, figuratively. Maybe you get Indiana Jones to do it. People who don't cover their mouth when they cough or sneeze, you should be able to punch them. People who don't chew with their mouth closed, you should be able to punch them. People who take up two parking spaces at the grocery store or the mall or you pick your parking location should be able to punch them. People who sing really loud at a concert but don't sing the words correctly, I should definitely be able to punch them. Matt, you got anybody that we should be able to punch? I like that list. My favorite amongst all of them are the people who take up two parking spots. 
Yeah. Those people deserve more than I, it, it, I was at my college graduation, and it got to the point where the police officers were just letting it go and just letting drivers park willy-nilly with the line right in the middle of the car. <laughs> and it's graduation, you know, it's sitting through a ceremony where they read around a thousand names. I'm already thinking about what a disaster this day might be for sitting in the ceremony and listening to all this. And so I speak my mind and I'm like, gee, how do these guys graduate college if they can't park? (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is a very good question. You know, maybe they knew somebody. Yeah, those people, uh, those people get me. Mike from Whitewater, uh, Flatland Tailgaters. Oh, turn a little anti-Illinois in, into our list of uh, people you should be able to punch. Uh, I think if you're driving too slow in the left lane, you should be able to, we should be able to punch you. Now, you don't get to punch back. That's the thing. That's, I know. Listen, I make the rules. So you should, you can't punch back. If you're wrong, you just get uh, you just get punched. Taylor, we were talking about Harrison Ford. Uh, I can't wait to see this movie. It can't be any worse than The Crystal Skull with Shia LaBeouf. Uh, this is one of the movies that will bring me back to the theater after Top Gun Maverick. Is he using a walker? I don't know. I would imagine he's using. Uh, he's not going to be running too much. There won't be a lot of. Uh, unlike Tom Cruise, who likes to jump off planes and helicopters, I'm I'm betting that Harrison Ford isn't going to be. Uh, you know, jumping off any planes or diving off a horse or anything like that. I may be wrong, but I don't think so. Um, it's, it just, uh, yeah. so there you go. Harrison Ford thinks Indiana Jones would punch a Nazi. And who wouldn't? Let's do this. Then there's more. It's WTMJ Nights. Now more of WTMJ Nights. We are here until 9 o'clock. Uh, from the 262, Harrison Ford is good if he gives up flying. Yeah, he hasn't crashed a plane in a while, thank goodness. So that's good. And uh, 414, since we were talking about punching Nazis, we wanted other groups that we could punch figuratively, of course. Young people on their cell phones, the new lazy generation. Wow. That's so angry, some angry old person coming at the young people on their cell phones. I don't care if you're on your cell phone as long as your conversation is just between you and the person on the other end of the cell phone. I don't need to hear it. I don't, you know, and if you're if you're in line checking out, hang up the phone or stop the call. Stop talking on your phone. Have some, have some, and I'll tell you another thing. This is where I sound like Grandpa Simpson. Uh, have a little respect for the person who is checking you out and stop, stop talking. I love the places that say, like uh, fast food places or uh, restaurants and things like that. We won't even talk to you at the counter if you're on your phone. If you can't hang up your phone, we don't want to we, go somewhere else. We're not going to help you. I'm all for that. You know, uh, here, you know who else I'd punch? Kanye West. Just because. He, uh, he has upset the Internet and civilized worlds again. Um, we talked, it was the other night or last week, something about, uh, you know, doing certain things naked. This I don't get, and I've seen it before. Kanye's not the first one to do it, but Kanye had his birthday party the other day. And um, he had all kinds of celebrity guests, as you can imagine, and he had a very luxurious selection of sushi and sashimi. We know Justin likes sushi and sashimi. Uh, The only problem with the menu, it was on a naked woman. Now, I don't know if you've seen this before. This is a thing in 
Japan. Uh, it's called. It's. I don't even know if I can. Uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Nayotaimori. It is often referred to as body sushi. Um, and so there's a you know a naked young woman and I naked naked all the way and she's just covered. She's like a plate. Um, as you can imagine, a lot of people saying it's very misogynistic. I, I would have to agree. I, you know, maybe in Japanese culture, it's a different thing. Here, using a woman as a utensil, probably frowned upon by most people. I would, uh, you know, I ran it past my wife. She was not a fan. Um, I didn't try to get her to lay naked on the dining room table so I could eat sushi off her. I just said, what do you think of this practice? She would no way. Um, so the party included this, uh, this would you... Could you ever imagine eating off a naked person? You know, if you showed up at a party, maybe you're invited to Kanye West's birthday party. First of all, what are you going to get him besides a clue? And you can't really give those to people. Um, so fans were up in arms over the incident. They took to Twitter with their outrage because nowhere is better for outrage than Twitter. If you're looking to be outraged, first of all, anywhere on the Internet is going to get you get you some outrage. But Twitter, that's the place. That's where you go. Either that or Reddit. Reddit is now uh, involved in a lot of, you know, angers. People being angry because they've cut off some things. But anyway, so they went to Twitter to voice their outrage. Um, one said, treating a human woman like a plate is a misogynistic big, is misogynistic, big dog. Uh, in what world is treating women like objects for male consumption literally not misogyny? So they're not, they're not mad hygienically. They're just mad because, um, you know, you're treating a woman like a serving platter. I just, I can't, hmm. I don't know. Some people did ask if it was safe to eat raw fish served on a person. Um, I, hmm, no. I, I, uh, Matt, would you, ever eat, would you ever eat sushi? Would you ever eat anything off a naked person? So maybe you don't like sushi. Pick your favorite uh, favorite food. Would you ever eat it off a naked person? No, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm not even going to go into <laughs> what ifs or anything of that situation. Yeah, you know, I, we'll we'll leave this one, we'll leave this one cut and dry. No, I like it. That was that. It really doesn't need any more than that. No, I would never. If I walked into a place, I don't care. My favorite meal on the planet, and I see it's and listen. I got nothing against naked people. In other uh, other circumstances. Let's go. That's fine. Hang around. Whatever you want to do. I don't think food and nudity ever should go together. Never. So this is a, this is off limits. Off limits to me. I'd seen it in other movies. I'd seen it in movies. I'd seen pictures of it. I didn't know it was actually a really a real thing, but it is. Uh, again, Nayo Taimori. That's body sushi. Yee. All right. Kanye, once again, angering people. Hey, after 40-some years, we are going to be without a national treasure soon. You probably heard about it. We'll talk about it after this. WTMJ Nights. Brian Noonan, WTMJ Nights, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talking text line. Still getting people jumping in, and you can too, on groups of people that we could figuratively punch. This came up because... You know, we were talking about uh, Indiana Jones punching Nazis, people weighing in. 
Uh, Chris says, how about people that are checking out at a grocery store or convenience store and run back because they forgot an item and take more than 30 seconds? Sure, I'll put them on the list, Chris. They can do that. Uh, and then we were talking about Kanye's birthday party where he was eating, uh, he and his guests were eating sushi off a naked woman. Taylor says, I wouldn't even do the breakfast buffet at a strip club. That makes sense. And Mike, weighing in uh, from Whitewater, sorry, but I would definitely eat sashimi off a naked girl. You're a braver man than I am, Mike. I don't know. First of all, that, you know, the woman, you got to, unless they lay her on ice, which is not going to be comfortable for the woman anyway, she's 98.6 degrees or hotter. And you got to figure she'd get. So, you know, now the sashimi is laying on uh, room temperature and it's on somebody's body. No, I no, I got to, you know. I think Matt, Matt took the right approach to this. We're just going to leave it at no and we're going to move on. We're going to say no and that's it. All right, the year was. <laughs> we don't need to get dramatic. Uh, if you watch Wheel of Fortune, it was a sad, sad day. Yesterday, when Pat Sajak, Pat Sajak announced that he would be spinning the wheel for the last time. That's right. After 41 years, 41 years, Pat Sajak has been the host of Wheel of Fortune, and now he is leaving. 855-616-1620. Do you have a replacement in mind? No one has, no, no names have been bandied about, mostly because this just happened. I know Whoopi Goldberg said she would love to uh, host Wheel of Fortune. Is there anybody you can think of that would like to that you would like to see host Wheel of Fortune? And do you do you watch Wheel of Fortune? Uh, so he tweeted Monday that uh, he said, "Well, the time has come. I've decided that our forty-first season, which begins in September, will be my last." So he's starting a long farewell tour, like uh, you know, like a lot of athletes do or bands do. I wonder if I wonder if Pat Sajak is going to pull, you know, like a kiss or somebody else and go, well, this is my farewell season, and then he just keeps going. He doesn't seem happy if you watch Wheel of Fortune lately. Now, I Wheel of Fortune is on in our house for about 15 minutes a night, and it's usually because around 6.30 is when, if I'm home, when I start making, you know, getting dinner on the table and stuff, and my wife will watch Wheel of Fortune. Because, I don't know, I think she used to watch it with her grandparents, which a lot of people have done. <laughs> that seems to be a common thread, even with contestants on Wheel of Fortune, where they go, well, I used to watch this with my grandma. Um, I don't think I watched Wheel of Fortune with my grandma. Maybe I did. I, I've never, you know. Anyway, so it's on for a couple minutes, but Pat doesn't seem happy. He doesn't seem happy with the contestants. He seems, uh, he's, you know. He's in his 70s. He's getting a little cranky. So maybe it's time, you know, at some point, how much money do you need? You've been spinning that wheel for 41 years. Uh, he said he went on to say it's been a wonderful ride. I'll have more to say in coming months. Many thanks to you all. If nothing else, I'll keep the clickbait sites busy. Oh, Sajak always there with a little joke. He gave no indication of who may replace him. Uh, they don't know. And Pat's going to stay on as a consultant for the show for three years after he's done hosting. What kind of consulting do you have to do? All right, here's what you do. You walk out, you introduce Vanna, or whoever's going to be the next uh, letter spinner woman, and then you introduce the contestants. You know, 
pleasantly exchange some pleasantries, blah, 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 and then you move on. Uh, Ryan, some from the 920, they want Ryan Seacrest. To, doesn't Ryan Seacrest have enough jobs? I know. I, I, sorry, 920, I have to disagree. I do not want to see Ryan Seacrest host uh, Wheel of Fortune. Uh, Mayim Bialik, she's busy. And she, she's doing Jeopardy. I just saw her today. I don't know if she wants two game shows. Taylor says Steven Seagal. Now that would be fun. <laughs> Comes out, takes out a whole new, take, Wheel of Fortune takes out a whole new vibe. It's all Russian and Far East puzzles when Steven Seagal is hosting. Um, it's hard to it's hard to believe that he has been doing this job for forty years. I've been trying to figure out what it is that makes him so beloved, and I think it is because he's bland, and by that I mean his comedy is not edgy at all. He's very he seems very approachable. He's got he's from Chicago, he's got a Midwestern sensibility, and he just he he is the kind of guy that is not going to offend anybody. He's perfect for a game show. And especially a game show where the star is the wheel and the puzzles. You know, they call Patton Vanna the stars of the show because, well, they are after 40 years, I get it. Um, but, you know, he's been, he's just been there keeping everything on an even keel, you know? From the days where you had to buy stuff, I know, I know Justin and Matt do not remember this, and maybe some of you don't. The days when you used to have to buy stuff on Wheel of Fortune, they didn't actually give you the money, they actually. Would you, oh, you won $20,000. Now you have to go shopping. And there'd be a ceramic Dalmatian, and it would be like $10,000. Everything was crazy overpriced. But that's how you used to do it. Now they just give you the money. Thank goodness. Uh, if you want to jump in with your replacement ideas, 855 616 1620. Dan's in Sebring, Florida. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Welcome aboard, matey. Um, so who do you think should replace have, Pat? Well, we don't even have to, like, change any names or numbers or anything. Because? My uh, ex-wife's sister is named Pat Zajac. <laughs> <laughs> so you want your wife's sister to host Wheel of Fortune. Has she done any broadcasting in the past, Dan? Uh, no, not to my knowledge. No. All right. Um, give me an age range. You don't have to be specific. Um, she's about uh, uh, three years old. She's about 55. Okay. So I'm yeah, going to call. Got, you know, I mean, you could run another 15 years. Yeah. All right. But I I'm still going to have to, with no prior experience, I'm going to have to call that strike two. Um, and how does she do making small talk with strangers? Very good. She does trivia, and she does trivia up in your neighborhood. Oh well, may, all right. Well, maybe you good. know, put her, have her put together a tape, send it to, uh, send it to the uh, Wheel of Fortune folks. 
Sony Pictures Television, that's who produces now, it. That might be it. Now, I also had a cousin that won stuff when the, you could buy stuff on Wheel of Fortune. Oh, really? What'd they buy? Do you uh, remember? Yes. Yeah. Um, he won a truck. He had to sell it. And uh, <laughs> he, he bought some sunglasses. And it was great. It was Teddy Kirkpatrick from the uh, Christian rock band. Um, oh, what? Tourniquet. And he was yeah. on Wheel of Fortune and he had to shop. Well, sounds exciting. Well, yeah. listen, Dan, good yeah. luck to your sister, to your sister-in-law. I hope she, uh, I hope she gets the gig. I'm sure there'll be some stiff competition, but, uh, thank you for the call and thanks for, uh, thanks for the suggestion. Oh, from the 262, since he didn't get the Jeopardy gig, Aaron Rodgers, he'll be looking for a new job around the same time. Pat was pretty snarky that from the, a different 262. He's been getting more snarky as time has gone on. Now, my wife, who normally is not a conspiracy theorist. Last night we're talking about this during the, the 15 minutes that Wheel of Fortune was on, and she said, I read somewhere that he's being forced out. And I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, no, I read it. And I'm like, where did you read this? She said, I don't know. So I Googled, is Pat Sajak being forced out? There's no record of this. I think my wife has some uh, beef with Pat Sajak and is trying to spread some dif disinformation that he's being forced out. By all accounts, he's leaving of his own devices. He's not. He's not being forced out. But she's gonna. I know she's gonna keep digging till she can find wherever she read that he was being forced out. For and it, she, I was like, for what? And she said, well, it has to be. It, it's because of some of the comments he's been making to some of the contestants. He's been getting kind of rude. I guess he told a grandmother and granddaughter on that uh, one of the one of their specials weeks that they were stupid and should quit. And I was like, "What? All right, so we're gonna keep we're gonna be looking for those uh, for that information." But that's that's the kind of rumors that get out there. Another rumor from the six hundred eight Pat's daughter. Mark also says I heard Pat's daughter. She's already on staff. Uh, so yeah, she, but she, yeah, I don't get quite what she does. I know she does the digital side of things. Pat's daughter, um, I don't know if it's Patricia Sajak, I don't think it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't have to be real. Uh, Steven Tyler with Ozzy Osbourne turning the letters. I think it would take Ozzy too long to shuffle to each letter. Letter. Vanna is, you know, Vanna's still spry, so she can move around when Pat goes, there's three R's, and she can move and, uh, you know. Now she doesn't even have to spin them. Life has gotten easy for Vanna. Now she just has to tap the lit up squares. I wonder if that was, you know, if that was a negotiating tactic back when they made that change. She's like, I can't spin those. You people don't grease up the thing, and sometimes it's hard and they catch. I just want to do touch screen. And all right, Vanna, relax. Um, a lot of people don't remember that Pat Sajak was not the original host of Wheel of Fortune. That is correct. Chuck Woolery was the original host. He left in 81. Pat came on. And then in 1983, when Wheel became syndicated, he's been on there since. So 40 years. There you go. Very nice. He's won a Daytime Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2011, has earned three additional Emmys for his work hosting Wheel. That is, boy, that, that's a job. That's a great job. 
I don't know how great it is after 40 years. But I was watching some clips last night of when he started, and, you know, he was 30. He had been a weatherman. And I don't know if you remember that he had an ill-fated late-night talk show that stayed on. I think I read 300 episodes it was on, the Pat Sajak show. But, no, he was he's a game show host, and he joins the pantheon of the great game show hosts of all time, no doubt about it. He and Vanna are um, the longest-running hosts of any show in uh, primetime history or in, in television history. Longest serving host of any television program in the game show category. So there you go. Game shows are fun. I enjoy game shows. I don't know if you know this, Matt. I've, to I've told the story before, but I don't think you've heard it. And I think I need to do anything I can to impress you because, uh, you know, I'm not a sports star. So you're probably uh, trying to figure out what. I've been on three game shows, won them all. That is impressive. Yeah, see, there you go. That's one there, there. There's my one thing that I can impress Matt with that I was on three game shows. And I used to have a blue check mark. I used to be verified on Twitter. That, that hey, that, that that's legit important. verified. That's important. It was. Now it's not. And I hear I you know Steve Harvey too? I do know Steve Harvey. Yeah. Oh yeah, Justin's feeding you some information. Yeah, I took Steve Harvey to a hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. So these are the things that I have to tell the young people so they know I'm just, uh, you know, that I've been around a while. I've done a couple of things. Hung out with Bill Murray one night. Made him laugh. There you go. I'm done bragging. Uh, but I, I would love to host, I would love to host a game show. Because you work a couple weeks, then you're off for a while. You know, you're doing like five shows a day. You work for like a month, then you're done. You're making loads of dough. If you could stay on the air, you look at guys, because a lot of the, I remember when Bob Barker retired and they were trying to find the host for The Price is Right. And it was a, oh man, it was a huge, huge thing. Who are they going to hire? What are, what's, what are they going to be? Is it, and Drew Carey started and man, that's, Drew Carey gave up everything. Now he's, he's the host. That's it. That's what he does. And he does a great job. That would be the sweet job. I'm, I'm past the demographic. They're going to hire somebody. I'm betting if they don't go with his daughter, because I don't, I, I don't know how that would work. I don't. Mm, that would smack of nepotism. I don't think. I don't think she has the, you know, she might. Maybe she's the new Vanna, because I don't know how long Vanna's going to hang around. Thinks Vanna's sixty-seven. She might want to pull the plug too and just go. You know what? Pat and I were a team. I don't want to work with some new host. I'm going to take off, right off into the sunset. The puzzle is, where's Vanna? She doesn't have to turn the letters. She just has to be the answer. All right, let's do this. Then we'll start wrapping things up. Why? Because it's WTMJ Nights. Yeah, we're getting ready to wrap things up in just a couple of minutes. This is big news. If you are in the KISS Army, I can't believe it. KISS is coming to the Crandon International Raceway. Yes, way up in the North Woods. Up about a hundred miles north of uh, Green Bay. I don't know if you've ever been to Crandon. They are coming. Uh, they announced June first that they're coming to the Crandon International Raceway, September first. It's one of the three newly added stops on their end of the road tour, which I saw uh, two years ago, which was supposed to be their last tour. They're still touring. I saw them two years ago, and I thought it was the end, and it is not. But supposedly this is the end, which is weird because they're. Uh, they're in Norway and Australia. 
which are the closest stops on either side of the Crandon date. So I don't know how Crandon got in there. Well, you know how they went from uh, selling out huge stadiums to Crandon? The Forest Carney Potawatomi Tribe and the casinos. So uh, according to... Uh, According to a press release, it said the tribe helped secure the concert to welcome Kiss to Wisconsin and to celebrate the upcoming opening of Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley's Rock and Brews restaurant inside of the Potawatomi Hotel and Casino here in Milwaukee. So you know that you knew they weren't going to do it out of the goodness of their heart. So Paul and Gene were in town. They were checking out where the uh, where the restaurant's going to be. Their big Rock and Brews restaurant. I. Uh, Man, I can't wait to have a Dr. Love cocktail um, or some some other KISS-related thing. So the Forest County Potawatomi Tribe is honored to play a role in bringing KISS to Crandon and Rockin' Brews to Milwaukee. The concert falls during the 54th Polaris Crandon World Championships and the 8th Red Bull Crandon World Cup, August 31st through September. There's a lot going on in Crandon. Who knew? All right, well, you know, tickets go on sale the 19th, so good luck if you want to see KISS. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of, part of the program. Matt, thank you for your work. I will talk to everybody tomorrow night at 6. Dave Ramsey coming your way after the news, which comes your way after this on WTMJ. Bye. 